Thank you, Brother Bill, for that beautiful testimony and song. I want you to open up your Bible with me to Luke's Gospel. Luke's Gospel, chapter 3. The ministry of Jesus began after the ministry of John, much, much like uh, the announcement to Elizabeth came before the announcement to Mary, the annunciation to Mary. And so, uh, what is this about John's ministry? Well, John's ministry was about the repentance that leads to faith in Jesus. A sorrow for sin and a turning away from it and a change of heart toward Jesus. When I become a youth minister at Sunrise Baptist Church in Carthage, Mississippi, long, long, long time ago, um, I planned a, a youth guys night out where we were going to just romp and play and do all kinds of stuff out in the woods, ride four-wheelers, shoot guns, do all kinds of stuff. Can't do those kinds of things anymore with youth. It's uh, Insurance won't allow that kind of thing. Probably wouldn't have allowed it back then, but I didn't care. One of the things I did not do was communicate with the parents what we were going to be doing either. Uh, we stayed out overnight at a deer camp, and everything went great except that one of my youth had a medical condition that I had not considered. I didn't think about it. He had cystic fibrosis, and he took treatments every day, and they would hook him up to a machine that would vibrate him and help pull the things that the... the Fluids out of his lung. Now riding four-wheelers all night long in the cool night air without a jacket was one of the worst things that he could have done. And the next day he had fluid building up on his lungs and he was struggling to breathe. And needless to say that his parents were livid with me, extremely upset with me. And when I realized my mistake, I had that terrible, gut-wrenching feeling. You know that feeling that you get when you realize you messed up? Yeah, I got that times a hundred. I just knew that I had really messed up. So I called his parents to express my apology. I still have the tear-stained pages in my office where I wrote that apology out and where I had prayed that no harm would come to him and that he would recover from that night out. From then on, I realized my responsibility for the lives of the young people that were entrusted to my care, and I took that more seriously. And I repented of my sin. Because repentance isn't simply feeling sorry about your sin. I'm thankful for what Brother Matt said. It's not just about saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is a change for who you, of who you are. Now, you can feel sorry about something and it produce absolutely nothing but regret and death. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. 
Simply feeling bad about something doesn't lead to life. So here's the biblical truth before we get into the text this morning in Luke 3. Repentance is a change of belief that leads to a change of being that results in a change of behavior. Now, did you get all that? You may want to write it down. I'm going to to repeat it. Repentance is a change of belief, gnosis, that leads to a change of being, who I am, that results in a change of behavior, what I do. And that's the way it, it works. It doesn't go the other way around. You don't change your behavior before you change your belief. You're not going to obey something that you don't believe. I mean, the only reason you stop at a stop sign is because you believe that it's either a danger not to do so or that you might get caught. Otherwise, you'll pass right through that stop sign every time. I know that this this is true because people in my neighborhood do it every day. Something in their belief system is wrong. Therefore, they do not obey. So if you have a behavior problem, it comes from a being problem. You're not who, the, who you should be. Therefore, you're not acting the way you should act. And the reason that you're not who you should be is because you don't believe the right thing about God. And so repentance is that realization, that coming to your senses that says, you know what? What God said is true. And what I think is a lie. So that belief then, that change of belief results in a change of being. Now I, 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 pull, I bring myself under the authority of God. And now because I do that, the result is a change of behavior. And it's all about turning away from sin and turning to Jesus. Sin is a one-way road that leads to a town called destruction And there is only one way out of that place, and it is to turn around. Repentance means turning away from sin and turning toward Jesus. Now, according to Scripture, repentance is wholly an inward act. It happens on the inside. And it should not be confused with the changed life that proceeds from it. However, the marks of repentance are evident for all to see. If you've really had a change on the inside, it will result in a change on the outside that everybody can see. So let's listen to John, what John said in John's ministry. Now, this is just a summation. All of these things that John says in this passage are a summation of the totality of John's ministry because he was doing this possibly for years leading up to, a year leading up to Jesus' ministry. And then Jesus' ministry overlapped John's ministry for a time. So there's a lot that John said that is not recorded in Scripture. But we have a snippet of it. So why don't you stand with me and let's read from Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor in Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Arteria and Traconite, I practiced this in my office. I don't know why I'm 
It's, y'all are making me nervous. Draconitis and Lysanus, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of, the, of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. <clears throat> and he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him. Now you listen to this. How would you like to hear this if you came to hear me preach? You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees and every, every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now let, let's, let's pause there and pray. Father, we thank you for your word today and we pray, God, that you would give us, grant us repentance that leads to salvation today, Lord. I pray, Lord, that under the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we would turn from our sin, repent from it, Lord, and turn to Jesus. And, Lord, that there would be no space between you and your church. God, that you would reign in the throne, on the throne of every heart in this place. And, Father, that we'll give you the credit that's due your name, the glory that's due your name, for the salvation that was purchased by the blood of Jesus on the cross. And it's in his holy name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so I want to share with you marks of true repentance this morning. Some marks of true repentance. Well, we've already talked about one for just a moment. But the first mark of true repentance that I want to mention today from, the, from this passage is believing. Look at verse 3 with me again. He says, he, this is John's ministry, went out into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming and baptize, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. In verse 6, we see that all flesh will see the salvation of God. And then when you get down to, to verse 18, you see that so with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. And so what was John's ministry? Well, John's ministry was to come as the forerunner of Jesus proclaiming the gospel before Jesus ever preached it. And the gospel, the good news, is the message of salvation in Christ Jesus. Now, there was a day whenever John was out baptizing by the Jordan and preaching that Jesus came and he was walking by and John said to his disciples, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And that, that faith in Jesus was what John was pointing to. But John understood that the flip side of the same coin of faith is repentance. So it wasn't just about trusting in Jesus, but it was about turning away from sin and trusting Jesus. One of the great fallacies of teaching and preaching today is that you can have your sin in Jesus too. And listen, folks, those two things are mutually exclusive. If you're going to trust in Jesus, you're going to repent of sin. 
You're going to turn from it. You can't have both of those things. But one of the truest marks of repentance is a deep faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you simply have reformation. An attempt to change. Maybe you have sobriety. Maybe you have uh, a, a, a bigger bank balance in your bank account. Maybe you don't go to the same places you used to go before. But folks, if you're not trusting in Jesus, then it's not true repentance. The word in the Bible for repentance is metanoia, and it means uh, a change in the way of thinking, a change in belief. Meta means change, and noia comes from gnosis, which means knowledge or thinking. So it first has to be a change of belief. You think about it, sin is all because we believe the falsehoods of the devil. That's the only reason we sin, is because we believe something that is false, that God has said the opposite. God said to Adam and Eve, don't take of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, for the day of you, that you take of it, you will surely die. And so what does Satan do? You know what he says? Did the Lord say you must not? Touch or eat any of the trees of the garden, lest you die? We see sowing a little seed of doubt right there in Eve's mind. Because God not said that they, God had not said that they couldn't take of any of the trees. He said specifically the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So just twisting it just a little bit. And then, then he says to Eve, you will not surely die? For the Lord knows, the Lord God knows. That if you take of this tree of knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be open. You'll be wise. You'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. In other words, the Lord is withholding from you something good. Well, this was a lie from the pit of hell. And But, but folks, every time we sin, guess what? We bit into the lie. Every time. And so something has to happen. See, what happens is, anytime the Lord comes near to us, He brings with Him His truth. You, you can't get close to the Lord without hearing the truth of God. You get into the Word of God, guess what? You're reading truth. You come to church, guess what? You're hearing truth. You spend time in prayer, guess what? The Spirit of God is pumping truth into your life. And that truth is going to have a response, a response from you. And that response is either going to be you're going to believe, continue to believe the, the lie and deny the truth, or you're going to receive the truth and it's going to cause a change of belief, a change of thinking, which is called repentance. You're going to repent and you're going to believe. Now, Jesus, every time he went out preaching the gospel, he used these words. He came proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. And you hear it in a sermon or you hear it in a song. A brother or a sister who points out what you've done wrong. Oh, doesn't that feel good? Some people have just got that gift, right? I'm here to tell you what you did wrong today. 
the Bible says this about those people, though. So if, you're, if you believe you're one of those people and you've got that gift of pointing out other people's sins, Galatians 6, 1, Brothers, if anyone is called in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. That means don't be harsh, don't be critical. Get the log out of your own eye before you try to get the speck out of your brother's eye. But when we're confronted with that truth that reveals our error, there are three responses. You've got the prideful. We've all likely experienced a proud person who refuses to acknowledge any wrongdoing whatsoever. This person may simply continue in their unrepentant state. And then you have the pretentious person, people. And they, these people came to John, and John called them out. And notice what he said. He called them a brood of vipers, a den of snakes. They may come to a place where they say, I, I'm, I'm sorry if what I did offended you. I'm sorry that you got upset. That's not repentance. That's not even a genuine apology. The Bible has a word to describe these kinds of people, and they're called hypocrites. They play the part. Jesus didn't have nice words for the hypocrites either. He called them a brood of vipers too. He said, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell of your, as yourself. Those weren't very nice words. See, repentance isn't something that you just play around with. Because when the Holy Spirit comes and he reveals his truth and he knocks on the door of your heart and he says, this is wrong and this is not of me and this is not what I say, but here's the truth, and this truth can set you free, and you say no to that, that might be the last time that that door is open for you. It might be. So repentance is not a thing that we take lightly. Whenever the Spirit comes and reveals truth to us, we don't need to be pretentious, and we certainly don't need to be prideful. We need to be penitent. Now, that's the third response. Ephesians 5, Paul says, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Now, I don't think John was condemning these, these people for coming out, even though he said to them, you know, you brood of vipers and who warned you? He was glad that they had come because they were coming out of darkness into the light and their deeds were being exposed. And so Paul says, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. You know, a lot of reason, the reason why a lot of people come to church once and never come back, and they stay away from church, they don't read their Bibles, they won't listen to Christian music, they run away from the teaching of the gospel. Why? It's because it exposes within them the lie. It exposes their sin. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes upon them in that moment, and they run from it. Because their deeds are evil. They love the darkness rather than the light. The first mark is believing. Having a strong faith in Jesus and saying yes to the truth that Jesus reveals. And no to the lie that Satan has fed us. 
But secondly, the second mark is being baptized. You say, well, well, isn't that an outward sign? Yes, it is, outward sign. But baptism represents something else that's taking place on the inside. And so this baptism that John came out proclaiming was a baptism of repentance, turning. Now, all throughout Scripture, we, we see that baptism is commanded. Baptism, baptism is not a suggestion to be considered, but a command to be obeyed. Immersion is the method that both John used. The Bible said he was baptizing at the Jordan because there was much water there. But it's that reason, that, that it's that picture that baptism is that points to that method of immersion. It's because a death has occurred. The old person is dead, and the new person has come. Baptism reminds us of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see it in baptism. You think about it. A person enters into the water, standing as the old person. The old man, the old woman, the sinner who's lost and condemned and going to hell. But then something happens. That person dies and they're buried in the water. That's what the baptism is about. It's about a death. That person goes under the water representing the death of the old self. This is a picture of repentance. It's a picture of an outward sign of the fact that you've changed from the person that you once were. And now that person that was buried in the water is raised up in newness of life. And this is the picture of baptism that we have portrayed so vividly in the Scriptures. John, uh, uh, Paul said it this way. He said, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead... By the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so baptism represents all that. Baptism represents our death to sin and self. And the fact that we are born again and raised to walk in newness of life. The devil wants to water down and wash out the message that is proclaimed through baptism. So if he can get you... To say, I accept Jesus in my heart, but I don't want to go to the baptistry. And what has he done? He's taken away your witness. He's taken away the picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, John proclaimed it before Jesus was ever killed on the cross, laid in a tomb, and resurrected on the third day. John was, John's baptism was looking forward to, to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The baptism that we partake in looks back to the death, burial, and resurrection and forward to the life that's to come. And so we're thankful for the gift and the, the uh, picture of believer's baptism. And if you've never been baptized, but you say you're a believer, you've neglected the very first step of Christian obedience. Now, isn't that, isn't it, Ironic that what Jesus would tell us to do, the very first thing that he would tell us to do in obedience and in faith to him is something that's absolutely embarrassing. I mean, you think about it. Baptism is basically taking a bath in front of everybody else. That's embarrassing, isn't it? Why would Jesus do that? 
Now, here, here, is, here is what it really amounts to. In order for you to get in that baptistry, your pride absolutely has to die. Your whole, your whole being at that moment has to be totally and 100% dedicated to Jesus because you're about to go under the water. And now you've got to trust somebody to pull you back up. And when you come up, you're welcomed into a family that loves you. Man, what a wonderful thing baptism is. It's an outward sign. It's a mark of repentance that a life has been changed, that your thinking has been changed. Now, because your belief has changed, your being is changed. You belong to Jesus now. And the symbol of that, the outward sign of that is baptism, and you're displaying that for the world to see that I'm new. I'm not the same person I used to be. And have you done that? If you haven't participated in believer's baptism, I want you to come at the end of the service. I want you to declare your faith in Jesus, and I want you to submit to believer's baptism, and we will schedule your baptism if you've never participated in that. Come and be baptized, and don't be ashamed of the new life that you have in Christ. But the first mark is believing. The second mark is being baptized. The third mark is becoming obedient. Now, this is really important. We said the first step into this is baptism. But listen to what he says to uh, what, what the Bible says about the prophecy of Isaiah in verse 4. The verse, voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John was leading the people to turn away from their sins to be prepared for the coming of the Messiah. And we must learn to see, just like that generation, our sin as egregious and an affront to a holy God. If you took John's a quotation of Isaiah literally, you'd think John would be driving an excavator and his disciples would be following him with dump trucks and road graders. It would look like one of those little Tonka parties I used to have in my driveway whenever I was a kid. Any of you guys ever play with Tonka trucks? Okay, a few of you. We must understand that neither Isaiah nor John had physical roads in mind as they were riding under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They were talking about people's lives. They were talking about your life and my life. They were talking about life transformation. My life was once, once rough and rocky and crooked, like a Middle Eastern desert road. Now my life is on the straight and narrow. It's no longer my way or the highway it's my way is His highway. I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. My heart is His. My life is His. True repentance is about life change. In his book, I Surrender, Patrick Morley writes that the church's integrity problem is this misconception that we can add Christ to our lives but not subtract sin. It's a change in belief without a change in behavior. 
And he goes on to say it's revival without reformation. Revival without repentance. Is there a such thing? No. True repentance means first restoration. Your relationship that was broken by sin is restored. Now, if you're not a believer, when you repent and you put your faith in Jesus for the salvation of your soul that first time, the Bible says you are saved right then. Instantaneously changed, born again, made new, restoration, transformation. Let me just read 1 John 1, 9 before I talk about transformation. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a restoration of that relationship. Everything that was between you and Jesus is no longer there. And then transformation. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, these are fruits of repentance. And then thirdly, reformation. Paul talks to the Ephesians in chapter 4 about putting off the old self and taking on the character of Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Remember the lie? He's saying saying no to the lie means that you're going to daily have to say no to the lie. Why? Because the devil's still out there. And he's still tempting us to sin every single day. And so repentance is not just a one-time deal. You don't just repent one day and say, God, I'm done with my sin. I'm moving on. I'm trusting Jesus from now on. I'll never sin again. Now, we want that to be the case. Amen. I mean, we want to get to the place where we can say, I don't sin anymore. But if you did, guess what? What did John say? We read it earlier. Matt Mandrell read it earlier. If we say we have no sin, what do we do? We lie. Because the truth of the matter is, even though my, my life is different, I'm not the same person that I used to be, I still sin. In fact, if I'm being totally honest, I say I sin every day. And therefore, what do I need to do every day? I need to repent. One theologian said, every day that we choose not to repent is another day that we have to add to the list of things we need to repent for. We're one day behind. Every day we don't repent. Don't, don't repent. And so this is what Reformation is all about. It's saying, Lord, I'm not doing that anymore. It's sin. I'm turning away from it. And I'm walking on that new path of life. But every time we get off of that road just a little bit, we come back and we say, Lord, I'm sorry for that sin. I repent of it. And I'm coming back onto that road of life. And, and each and every step of the way, we're growing closer and closer to the Lord Jesus, to the process of sanctification empowered by the Holy Spirit. And He keeps us on that path. And He'll never let us go, amen. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So do you want to hold on to your sin? Do you want to let go of your sin so you can cling to Jesus? It's your decision. It's your choice. You know 2 Chronicles 7.14? This is God's promise. He says, if. 
if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and what? And turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. You cannot have your sin and Jesus Acts 3, 19 through 20. Repent, therefore, and turn back, Peter says, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the, from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, who is Jesus. And so, just to recap, believing, being baptized, and becoming obedient, and then bearing fruit. And the crowds asked him in verse 10, what then shall we do? I love that phrase. What then shall we do? Now that's an important phrase to ask. What then shall we do? Because when you turn from your sin, now there's a whole wide open world that God has for you. And the heart of obedience says, Lord, I've wasted many years in sin. Now I want to spend the rest of my life obeying you. So what then shall we do? Now this is a mark of those that were truly repenting that day. He said, the, the crowds that were coming asked him, what then shall we do? And he said to them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Well, what is this about? This is about generosity. This is about recognizing that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no shifting nor shadow due to change. And therefore, because I'm blessed, I'm called to be a blessing. And then he goes on to say, uh, the, the tax collectors came and they were baptized and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? He said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Tax collectors were, where they were listed way down with the prostitutes and the sinners because they stood, at, they sat at the roads, they set their booths up at the, at the entrance of towns and on the streets. And, and when people came by, they extorted money out of them basically and collected more than they were authorized to do. They were liars. They cooked the books, you might say, to show that you owed them more money than you did. And so the number one problem that John pinpointed with them is, hey, if you want to start getting your life right, you're going to start following the Lord, and you got to get that right. And that's what the Holy Spirit does to us. He begins to reveal these things within us. And soldiers also asked him, and, and what are we to do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone with threats or by false accusations. See, Roman soldiers back then, they could just pick you up off the street, take you in, have you executed, because you looked at them funny. He says, don't do that anymore. And be content with your wages. I mean, well, isn't that a modern day? That's a good modern day application of transformation that happens in the life of a believer. All of a sudden now I've been wanting more and more and more and more and more and spending more and more and more and more on Christmas. But hey, I need to be content with what I have. I'm not going to go off on that tangent because we, we could preach a whole other sermon on that one. Jesus said about you and me, that we should be bearing fruit for the kingdom. And John said to those crowds to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance means nothing without fruit. If you're truly converted to Christ, 
There will be tangible evidence. What is the proof? The proof is in the pudding, right? Matthew twelve thirty three. Either make a tree good and its fruit good, or make a tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. Now we had at my grandmother's property we had some pear trees. They grew up real big and tall, and the tops of them would bend over with bearing so much fruit, those trees would bend over and sometimes the limbs would break because they had so much fruit. So many pears on those pear trees. It's a beautiful sight. They're not there anymore, but maybe one is still there. But right back behind those pear trees, right there in the, in the bushes, was a giant thorn tree. And right off the side of, of where the pear trees were, and that thorn tree, you had to be careful of that thorn tree because if you got too close to it, it would get you. And it would hurt. It would draw blood. There have been many times where we were playing ball or something like that, and I strayed off a little bit too far over the edge of the woods and got tangled up with that thorn tree. And it hurt. I, would, I wouldn't be in my right mind if I went to that thorn tree looking for a pear. That's a bad tree. It was really bad. I hated that tree. You see, when when the Lord Jesus comes back, He's going to be looking for fruits of repentance. He's going to come to every tree. That's you and me. And He's going to determine whether it's a good tree or a bad tree based on whether or not you've ever truly repented and put your faith in Christ. Jesus said every branch that abides in him would bear much fruit in John 15, 5. Confession, restitution, fruit of the Spirit, generosity. Where is your proof? Well, I want to conclude with this passage. This is Acts chapter 17, Peter preaching, and he says, The times of ignorance God overlooked. But when you didn't know, God overlooked that. He was patient. But now, He commands all people everywhere to do what? Repent. All people everywhere means all people here today at Myrtle Grove Baptist Church commands you to repent because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man He appointed and he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. See, Jesus, not only was he raised from the dead, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's waiting on that day that's coming where he will return and he will judge the earth. And in that moment, there's not going to be a place to hide from the conviction of the Lord. You will stand in, in it And you will be either under conviction and condemned and go away into everlasting punishment or because of the repentance and faith that you've put in Jesus, Jesus will take take that from you right now, right now, so that on that day, you'll stand in Him, righteous and holy and ready to receive the glories of heaven. And he'll say to you, not, not depart from me, 
but enter in. So the question is, have you ever truly repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus? Have you turned from sin and said yes to Jesus? This is your opportunity to do that today. Don't wait a moment longer. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Don't put it off because you never know that this might be the last opportunity that you have. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Believer, Christian, brother, sister, the Bible says God calls all men everywhere to repent. That includes you and me. It's not just a one-time thing. So if there's anything that you came here that you have not yet confessed to the Lord, you have not said to the Lord, I'm sorry for my sin, and now I'm turning away from it, I reject it, and I'm turning to Jesus Christ, Lord, forgive me of my sin. If you've not done that today, you need to do it right now. And then you need to make it a habit of daily repenting of your sin and turning to Jesus. And folks, if this is your first time ever saying, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I need you to forgive me. I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to Jesus. It's the first time that you're saying that. I want to lead you in a prayer. We call this the sinner's prayer. It's not a magic prayer. It's simply your heart aligning with His. Repenting of your sin and putting faith in Jesus. So pray this prayer with me right there in your pew, in your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I've done things that I know are wrong, and I've failed to do what I know is right. And I deserve the penalty for my sin. But Jesus, right now, I'm turning from my sin, and I'm turning to you. I believe that you died in my place on the cross, and you took the penalty for my sin. So I give you my heart right now. Make me a new person. I'll spend the rest of my life loving you and serving you. Thank you for my salvation. In your name I pray. Amen. Will you stand with me? This is our invitation and this is your opportunity. If you need to repent of your sin and you just want someone to pray with you about it, encourage you, And you come because we'll have altar counselors here to pray with you and show the love of Christ to you. And if you're trusting in Jesus for the very first time today, that's not a decision to keep secret. It's meant to be shared. And we want to offer to you believers baptism. We want to offer you resources and a small group where you can grow in your faith. And so you come. If you're looking for a church home, Myrtle Grove Baptist Church, would love to receive you into membership. If you've never been baptized before, but you've known Jesus for a long time, you come. You say, I want to be baptized. And we'll make that happen for you. Whatever the case is, you use this invitation for God's glory, however He would.